This recording is intended to be used as an educational resource for healthcare providers. It is in no way a substitute for the independent decision making and judgment of a qualified healthcare professional. It should not be used to make a diagnosis or to overrule the advice of a qualified healthcare provider, nor should it be used to provide advice for emergency medical treatment. Interpreting Arterial Blood Gases by Michael Greenlee. Hi, my name is Michael Greenlee. I am the clinical nurse educator in the cardiac ICU at Boston Children's Hospital. Today I'm going to be discussing arterial blood gas analysis and also known as acid-base imbalance. As part of this discussion, I'm going to be discussing the four conditions, metabolic alkalosis, metabolic acidosis, respiratory acidosis, and respiratory alkalosis. And at the end of the discussion, we're going to have four case studies with questions to each case study for you to answer. Arterial blood gas analysis is an essential part of diagnosing and managing a patient's oxygenation status and acid-base balance. When the nurse is able to correctly interpret the results of the blood gas, she will be able to diagnose and anticipate a course of treatment. Understanding the implications of acid-base balance is very important. Changes in acid-base balance have important physiological effects. Significant changes in blood pH will interfere with cellular functioning and if uncorrected, will lead to death. The objective of this discussion is to understand the components of the arterial blood gas and the normal ranges for those components. We will discuss the four conditions that identify the physiological acid-base state, including their common causes, signs and symptoms, basic compensatory responses, and the medical and nursing interventions we would anticipate for those conditions. To obtain a blood gas, the clinician will assess the option which will yield information that is most reliable. Blood from arterial circulation versus venous circulation will have different normal ranges and need to be interpre interpreted with that in mind. Directly obtaining a blood gas from an arterial or venous puncture may result in the variable results depending on the patient's response to a painful stimulus. A patient holding his breath or hyperventilating response will affect results, and those results will not be representative of a true baseline. These are the components of the arterial blood gas, which will be discussed. For our interpretive purposes, the discussion will not include PO2 and oxygen saturation as part of the case study exercises at the end of this presentation. Blood gas components. The pH is a measurement of the acidity or alkalinity of the blood. It is inversely proportional to the amount of hydrogen ions in the blood. The more hydrogen ions are present, the lower the pH will be. Likewise, the fewer hydrogen ions present in the blood, the higher the pH will be. The normal pH of blood is 7.35 to 7.45. The body depends on the blood pH to remain within this normal range in order for normal metabolism to occur. When the arterial blood pH falls below 7.35, the blood is said to be acidic. Conversely, when the pH in arterial blood is greater than 7.45, it is said to be alkaline. When the blood is very acidic or alkaline, normal physiological functions are adversely affected. Force of cardiac contractions deteriorate Vascular response to catecholamine are diminished, 
The metabolism of some medications are incomplete, thus making the patient less responsive to them. When diagnosing the patient's acid-base balance state, the pH is the first component of the blood gas sampling that is analyzed by a clinician. Have you ever wondered how human blood might compare to other fluids in terms of its acid and base state? This diagram demonstrates how our blood measures up to alkaline fluids, such as common household cleaners, and how it measures up to acidic fluids, such as vinegar and soda pop. After assessing the pH, the next step to diagnosing the patient's acid-base condition is analyzing the carbon dioxide level. Carbon dioxide, or the PCO2, is the respiratory component in acid-base balance. Carbon dioxide is transported on hemoglobin and dissolves in plasma. When a CO2 level changes, the pH changes to the same degree, but in the opposite direction. Elevated carbon dioxide in the blood will lead to acidosis. Conversely, decreased levels of carbon dioxide in the blood will lead to alkalosis. When carbon dioxide combines with water in our blood, the byproduct is carbonic acid. Increase of levels of carbonic acid will decrease the pH, which will lead to an acidic condition. Changes in arterial blood pH and carbon dioxide will have important physiological effects on pulmonary and cerebral circulation. There are conditions where cerebral and pulmonary blood flow may need to be manipulated by a clinician. For example, a patient with a head injury at risk for herniation due to increased intracranial pressure may need to have a pH that is normal to slightly elevated and a PCO2 that is normal to slightly lower to constrict cerebral vessels. The constriction of the cerebral vessels will create greater space in the intracranium and reduce intracranial pressure. An example in which condition may need to manipulate pulmonary circulation would be for a patient with pulmonary hypertension, a condition that disables blood flow through pulmonary circulation to the left heart due to vasoconstriction of the intrapulmonary vasculature. A patient who is predisposed to having a pulmonary hypertensive crisis may be ventilated to slightly lower PCO2 and higher pH to discourage pulmonary vasoconstriction. After assessing the PCO2, the next step to diagnosing the patient's acid-base condition is analyzing the bicarbonate level, or TCO2. The normal level of bicarbonate in our venous or arterial blood is 22 to 26. Bicarbonate is a physiological buffer that is maintained mainly by our kidneys to attain a normal pH. Bicarbonate values outside the normal range are usually influenced by metabolic conditions or in response to changes in acid-base status. It is easy to be confused by TCO2 in reference to bicarbonate. Since CO2 mostly occurs in the form of HCO3, bicarbonate, in the bloodstream, bicarbonate is represented by the total calculated value of CO2 in the blood. In an effort to maintain the pH of the blood within its normal range, the kidneys excrete or retain bicarbonate. As a result, when pH decreases, the kidneys will compensate by retaining bicarbonate, and as the pH rises, the kidneys will excrete bicarbonate through the urine. Although the kidneys provide an excellent means of regulating acid-base balance, the system may take from hours to days to correct the imbalance. 
All little core portion of blood gas teaching curricula is focused on interpretation of acid-base imbalances. The arterial blood gas can also be used to evaluate blood oxygenation. The component of the arterial blood gas used to evaluate this is the PaO2. The normal blood PaO2 value is 80 to 100 millimeters of mercury. Some physiological causes for hypoxia include hypovolemia, anatomic right-to-left shunt in patients with intracardiac shunting, and diffusion limitation. Diffusion limitation occurs when the pathway of oxygen and carbon dioxide diffusion is compromised. Normal pulmonary diffusion occurs when oxygen can readily move from the alveolus across the capillary endothelium and into the red blood cell while concurrent diffusion of di carbon dioxide out of the red blood cell to the alveolus occurs. There are many conditions that produce barriers between the alveoli and capillaries that limit that exchange. For example, infants who go on to cardiopulmonary bypass for cardiac surgery have a significant total body inflammatory response. The lungs are significantly affected by the inflammatory response due to capillary leaking of lung water into the alveolus. The water between the capillaries and the alveolus not only inhibit expansion of alveolus, but also act as barriers between the surface of the alveolus and capillary bed. Therefore, carbon dioxide is retained and oxygen saturation of the red blood cell is diminished. Other examples of conditions that block the pathway between the alveolus and red blood cell include pneumothoraces, pleural effusions, obstructive pulmonary disease, atelectasis, and pneumonia. So let us review the normal ranges for each component of the blood gas. Take note of the differences in values between blood that is obtained from an arterial circuit versus a venous circuit. In general, the arterial blood will yield a difference of 0.05 greater than the, than the venous blood. The arterial blood will yield a PCO2 that is 10 millimeters of mercury less than the venous blood. The lower oxygen content in venous blood is dependent upon the rate of oxygen consumption, delivery, and absorption as it circulates through the body and back to the lungs to be resaturated. Bicarbonate levels in arterial and venous blood will yield the same result. Understanding these normal ranges will allow the condition to diagnose one of the four acid-base balance conditions. Physiologic acid-base imbalances. The four abnormal conditions diagnosed as physiologic acid-base imbalances are respiratory alkalosis and acidosis and metabolic acidosis and alkalosis. The first condition we will discuss is respiratory acidosis. Respiratory acidosis is a condition that results from an excess of carbon dioxide due to impaired elimination by the lungs, producing a decreased pH. So for respiratory acidosis, the pH will be low, less than 7.35, and the CO2 will be elevated, greater than 45, with a normal to low normal bicarbonate level. Listed are some of the most common conditions that cause a respiratory acidosis. CNS depression associated with a disruption in centrally mediated respiratory control centers in the brain caused by head injury, Narcotics, sedatives, or anesthesia will cause hypoventilation or shallow breathing. Pharmacologic agents such as neuromuscular blockades, upper spinal cord injury, and neuromuscular disease 
will disrupt the muscles needed to produce diaphragmatic rise and fall. Pulmonary issues that produce a limitation of diffusion of carbon dioxide out of the blood cell to be excelled will cause respiratory acidosis. A pulmonary embolism event is another condition. Lower airway obstructions such as bronchial obstruction from asthma or upper airway obstructions such as obstructed endotracheal tube, choking, or strider. Chest wall injury or deformity. And finally, pain. That is a bit more abstract. However, consider a teenager after a strenotomy for a heart surgery. Postoperatively, he or she may breathe shallowly, hypoventilate, refuse to cough or ambulate because it is painful to engage in those very important activities. The compensatory response to respiratory acidosis is immediate if the patient is able to control her own ventilation. Mediated by central respiratory centers in the brain, our lungs will increase the depth in which we breathe or the rate in which we breathe to eliminate CO2. However, when central respiratory centers in the brain are suppressed, we as clinicians act as the brain per se by adjusting mechanical ventilation rate and pressures to eliminate CO2. Patients with less acute or chronic CO2 retention will begin to show signs of bicarbonate buffering in order to normalize blood pH. Cellular buffering will occur first but is not significant enough to influence pH. Over three to five days, however, the kidneys will begin to excrete carbonic acid and increase bicarbonate reabsorption. That process will yield enough bicarbonate to significantly influence blood pH over time. The most classic and common example of chronic and fully compensated carbon dioxide retention is the adult with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or former premature babies with bronchial pulmonary dysplasia. These patients will have a normal blood pH, CO2 levels in the 50s to 80s with a bicarbonate level in the 30s to 50s. The signs and symptoms of respiratory acidosis include the following. From a pulmonary standpoint, a person will experience shortness of breath, respiratory distress, or shallow respirations. Neurological signs include headache, lethargy, confusion, restlessness, blurred vision, tremors, delirium, or even coma. Cardiovascular effects include tachycardia, cardiac arrhythmias, hypertension, or pulmonary hypertension. You may know that the signs and symptoms for each of the following abnormal acid-base conditions are similar. As mentioned in the introduction to this presentation, our body's normal and basic functions in cellular metabolism is very sensitive to acid-base imbalance. If blood pH is abnormal in one direction or the other, the normal body system processes will begin to fail, and that failure will manifest into these abnormal signs and symptoms. Medical and nursing intervention will be targeted to increase carbon dioxide elimination. Patients on mechanical ventilation support will need to have either or both increased frequency or ventilated breaths and added inhaled or exhaled pressures to each ventilated breath. Pharmacologic interventions include using drugs that will help eradicate diffusion limitation within the lungs, increase passage of air to the lungs, or in the case of the patient who is apprehensive to take in deep breaths due to pain, pain medication will help. Surgical interventions such as chest tube placement for pneumothorax, hemothorax, or pleural fusion might be necessary. 
participating in or having the patient participate in activities to strengthen respiratory muscle function, expand alveolus, and clear secretions are important. Advanced life support courses teach the mnemonic DOPE or DOPE. This is a clever mnemonic to help a clinician quickly troubleshoot a condition in which ventilation is not adequate and a patient on mechanical ventilation support. Is the tube displaced? Is it too high or is it too far or positioned in the carina or in the right main stem bronchus? Is there an obstruction due to secretions or mucus plug? Is there a tension pneumothorax? Is the equipment used to ventilate the patient functioning appropriately? The next condition is respiratory alkalosis, which is functionally the opposite of respiratory acidosis. There is an increase in pH due to excessive CO2 loss from an increased respiratory rate. Conditions that cause respiratory alkalosis include psychological responses, central nervous system impediments, increased metabolic demands, exposure to elevation, pain, or excessive mechanical ventilation. These are some of the neurological, cardiovascular, and miscellaneous signs and symptoms associated with respiratory alkalosis. The compensatory response to respiratory alkalosis is, for the most part, essentially mediated by a brainstem, which will cause us to decrease the depth and rate in which we breathe in response to decreased CO2. As with respiratory acidosis, the renal response is much slower. For a patient who is mechanically ventilated, we would decrease the pressure in an effort to decrease tidal volume and or we would decrease the set rate or consider extubation. For a patient with acute anxiety, we may give anti-anxiety medications such as midazolam or diazepam. Otherwise, our aim would be to treat the underlying cause. People who have anxiety attacks feel as though they are going to faint or are lightheaded because they are unable to control their breathing, so they breathe into a paper bag and rebreathe the CO2 within the paper bag to bring its levels back to normal. Now we discuss the two metabolic conditions. The first condition is metabolic acidosis. Metabolic acidosis is defined by a primary deficit in bicarbonate ion concentration or primary gain of strong acid. As a result, the pH drops and the bicarbonate level is low as well. Calculating the anion gap can help the practitioner differentiate the type of metabolic acidosis that is present. Metabolic acidosis can be categorized as having a normal anion gap or a high anion gap. Listed are some of the conditions that generally lead to metabolic acidosis. Increased anion gap metabolic acidosis occurs due to the primary gain of strong acid, whereas normal anion gap acidosis occurs when there is a primary loss or deficit of bicarbonate. The signs and symptoms of metabolic acidosis become more life-threatening when the severity of acidosis becomes greater. The most classic type of metabolic acidosis occurs during a myocardial ischemic attack. The final condition we will discuss is metabolic alkalosis. In metabolic alkalosis, there is a primary gain of bicarbonate or loss of acid or hydrogen ions resulting in an elevated pH. Listed are the most common conditions that cause metabolic alkalosis. The loss of hydrogen ions occur through two mechanisms, loss of acid through vomiting or gain of bicarbonate, common with diuretic use. 
Patients who require aggressive diuretic therapy tend to become hypokalemic or hyponatremic when we get into a continuous cycle of alternating supplemental potassium or sodium with diuretics. The medical and nursing interventions include treating the underlying cause, using drugs that will increase the acidity of the blood, using drugs that will limit acid loss, altering diuretic therapy, or providing antiemetics. Diagnosis. So when diagnosing the blood gas, the first part of the diagnosing of the blood gas is looking at the pH. Is it normal? Is it acidotic? Or is it alkalotic? The next component of diagnosing the arterial blood gas is looking at the PCO2. Is it higher than 45, which means it's acidotic? Or is it lower than 35, making it alkalotic? Finally, it is time to diagnose the metabolic portion of the arterial blood gas, the TCO2. Is it high, causing alkalosis, or is it low, causing acidosis? Case studies. So now we'll head into our case studies. This is case study number one. A four-month-old boy with Down syndrome returned from the operating room after repair of a complete AV canal. He has been in the ICU for three hours since. Below is some data. From a cardiovascular standpoint, his heart rate is 180, his blood pressure is 52 over 28, his central venous pressure is 4. The patient is cool and mild. The capillary refill time is 4 seconds. Bleeding has been moderate since arrival from the OR approximately 2 milliliters per kilogram per hour. The hematocrit on arrival was 35. Dopamine is at 3 micrograms per kilogram per minute. The urine output has declined. From a respiratory standpoint, the patient is on pressure-controlled ventilation. The PIP, or the peak inspiratory pressure, is 25. The PEEP, or positive inexpiratory pressure, is 4. The rate is 16 and the FiO2 is set at 40%. Breast sounds are slightly coarse, but overall the patient has good aeration. The O2 sat is 100% and the end tidal CO2 is 30. The patient is well sedated on a morphine drip. The pupils are pinpoint, the fontanelles are soft, and there's no spontaneous respirations noted. From the GI perspective, the patient has a nasogastric tube to low wall suction and has no bowel sounds. And the arterial blood gas reads as following. The pH is 7.21, the PCO2 is 38, the TCO2 is 14, the PO2 is 85, and the oxygen saturations are 100%. What is your interpretation of this arterial blood gas? Is it a metabolic acidosis, metabolic alkalosis, respiratory acidosis, or respiratory alkalosis. And number two, based on the case study, list at least three interventions you might anticipate in response to the arterial blood gas. The answer to case study number one would be metabolic acidosis. The possible treatments would be, one, the low cardiac central venous pressure, low blood pressure, and tachycardia may be indicative of hypovolemia. Fluid replacement would be appropriate. If the hematocrit is low due to ongoing bleeding, 
red blood cells would be the best fluid replacement option. Number two, a sodium bicarbonate replacement of one to two milliequivalents per kilogram would, de would address the bicarbonate deficiency. And three, increase in the dopamine may improve contractility of the heart, thus improving cardiac output. Case study number two. A four-month-old little girl arrived to the ICU after a tetralogy of flow repair. She just arrived from the operating room. Below are the following statistics. From a cardiovascular standpoint, her heart rate is 140. Her blood pressure is 65 over 35. Her central venous pressure is 9. The patient is cool. The capillary refill time is 3 seconds. The patient has minimal bleeding. She's on an epinephrine drip of 0.025 micrograms per kilogram per minute and a milanone drip at 0.25 micrograms per kilogram per minute. From a respiratory standpoint, she's on pressure control ventilation. The PIP is set at 25 and the PEEP at 5. The rate is 16. The patient has measured tidal volumes of 13 milliliters per kilogram. The oxygen saturation is 100% on 0.40 FiO2 and the breath sounds are clear. The patient received 20 micrograms of fentanyl and a muscle relaxant from the anesthesiologist upon arrival to the ICU. The pupils are pinpoint. You're ordered to begin a low-dose fentanyl drip. From a gastrointestinal standpoint, the patient has a nasogastric tube to low-wall suction. The abdomen is slightly distended but soft. So the arterial blood gas reads as following. The pH is 7.54. The PCO2 is 30, the TCO2 is 22, the PO2 is 101, and the oxygen saturation is 100%. So what is your interpretation of this arterial blood gas? Metabolic acidosis, metabolic alkalosis, respiratory acidosis, or respiratory alkalosis? And two, based on the case study, name at least three interventions you might anticipate in response to the arterial blood gas? The answer to case study number two is respiratory alkalosis. These are the possible treatments. One, decrease the ventilator rate to help retain carbon dioxide. Or two, decrease the peak inspiratory pressure, which will reduce the tidal volume to help retain carbon dioxide. Or three, consider making a plan to wake the patient up and wean towards extubation. Now it's time for case study number three. A 10-year-old male with cardiomyopathy suffered a ventricular fibrillation arrest en route to the cardiac ICU from the emergency room. The ICU team provided cardiopulmonary support for 22 minutes before a perfusion rhythm with a palpable pulse returned. He was immediately intubated. An arterial line and central venous line were placed a blood gas was sent to the lab shortly after. The patient had the following assessment. From a cardiovascular standpoint, the heart rate was 122 with a first degree AV block. The blood pressure is 125 over 56. The central venous pressure is 14. The patient is cool to touch. The pulses are palpable but faint distally. His urine output is adequate. He is on a dopamine drip at five micrograms per kilogram per minute and epinephrine at 0.1 micrograms per kilogram per minute. From a respiratory standpoint, the patient is on volume control ventilation at a rate of 14 with a set tidal volume of eight milliliters per kilogram. The O2 sat is 94% on 0.60 FiO2. Breath sounds 
have fine crackles diminished on the left, the patient has an audible air leak. From a neurological standpoint, the patient is unresponsive to nauseous stimulation. The pupils are equal and reactive to light stimulation. The team has decided to initiate hypothermia for post-cardiac arrest neurological protection. The arterial blood gas reads the following. The pH is 7.27. The PCO2 is 56. The TCO2 is 26. The PO2 is 76. And the O2 saturation is 95%. So what is your interpretation of this arterial blood gas? Metabolic acidosis, metabolic alkalosis, respiratory acidosis, or respiratory alkalosis? Based on the case study, name at least three interventions you might anticipate in response to this arterial blood gas. The answer to case study number three would be respiratory acidosis. And the possible treatments would be one, Increase the ventilator rate to help eliminate carbon dioxide. Or two, increase the set tidal volume to help eliminate carbon dioxide. Or three, consider diuretics or afterload reduction if the patient has pulmonary edema due to congestive heart failure because of cardiomyopathy. Now for the final case study, case study number four. A three-week-old female who was born at 35 weeks gestation is preparing to extubate after recovering from a PDA ligation and pyloric stenosis repair. She had a prolonged intubation due to pulmonary edema, but has responded well to diuretic therapy. Her assessment is as follows. From a cardiovascular standpoint, her heart rate is 155, her blood pressure is 59 over 36. She is warm and well perfused. From a pulmonary standpoint, she's on straight pressure support ventilation. She has an oxygen saturation that is 95% on 0.3 FiO2. The morning chest x-ray was clear. Her breast sounds are clear. Respiratory effort, shallow times. From a neurological standpoint, she opens her eyes. She looks around. She responds appropriately to stimulation. She usually sleeps for about two and a half to three hours between bolus and nasogastric feeds. From a gastrointestinal standpoint, she's been MPO for the past six hours for possible extubation. Intravenous fluids are running and glucose levels have been stable. The team asked to have an arterial blood gas sent to see how her gas exchange was on straight pressure support ventilation. She has an arterial blood gas pH of 7.54, her PCO2 is 45, and her TCO2 is 34. What is your interpretation of this arterial blood gas? Is it a metabolic acidosis, metabolic alkalosis, respiratory acidosis, or respiratory alkalosis? And number two, based on the case study, list at least three interventions you might anticipate in response to the arterial blood gas. The answer to case study number four is metabolic alkalosis. The possible treatments would be one, consider reducing diuretic therapy. Two, consider checking the whole blood potassium and replace it if it is low. Three, consider ammonium chloride or diamox. So thank you for joining me and learning about arterial blood gas analysis. Have a great day. This recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide.
For more pediatric care materials or to join our global community, please visit our website at openpediatrics.org.